This morning is our last message through the book of Malachi. I hope you've enjoyed the series and the Lord has spoke to you through his word the last six to seven weeks. As promised, today will be one of the most practical messages of the entire series. Although it is a practical message, it is an important message. It might be the most important message in the entire series. I don't know what's going on with each and every person in the room or watching online in their personal lives. But what I do know is that we all face decisions each and every day. Not only do we face decisions each and every day, seasonally we face monumental decisions that can bring not only tremendous blessings to our lives, but also curses to our lives and bondage. And I want you to give me about 37 minutes today and listen to this message because I believe I'm talking to some people this morning that are facing monumental decisions between now and the new year. These could be business decisions. They could be familial decisions. They could be personal decisions, emotional decisions, marital decisions. I don't know. But I believe with all of my heart that if you will apply the principles that will be released today, God will show you and tell you what it is you're to do. How many of you would like to know what to do? Many times we make the decision and then blame God for the outcome when we never consulted God in the first place. And I wanna teach you today what happens at the point of decision. Beginning with chapter three, verse six, I am the Lord and I do not change. That is why you descendants of Jacob, the people of God are not already destroyed. Chapter four, beginning with verse one, for behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, the day of the Lord, the day of vengeance. I taught you that last week. And all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly will be stubble. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that will leave them neither root nor branch, but to you, everybody say that's us. I pray that it is. But to you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. And you shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves. Isn't that a good word for the holidays? <laughs> go out and grow fat, amen? Like stall-fed calves. You shall trample the wicked for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet. On the day that I do this, saith the Lord of hosts, to the people of God, remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. Remember the word of God, Abba's house. Behold, I will send you Elijah, or one like Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. 
and will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with the curse. Many things can happen at the point of decision. We can retreat or we can advance. We can run or we can retreat. We can give up or we can go on. We can be cowardice or we can be courageous. At the point of decision, things can go one of two ways. And in spiritual matters, we should be including the Spirit of God before we make a decision. You learn in leadership that you should never make a decision when you're emotional, weary, or fatigued. You learn that when you're governed by the flesh, you won't make a godly decision. But if you're governed by the Spirit of God, you'll make the decision that God would have you to make. As I've taught you, this book was a transitional book. It's a biblical book. They're at the point of decision, the people of God. You're seeing a transition from the old covenant to the new covenant, from Moses to Jesus, from the law to grace, from curse to blessing. It was sunset, but it was about to be sunrise in 400 years to a new kingdom. When you'd see one crying in the wilderness, John the Baptist. And so we're at a transition here in the word of God. He's about to go silent 400 years. And the people of God were at the point of decision. And throughout this book, if you've been following along from week to week, God is bringing a charge against his people and they're in denial. He says, look, I've loved you, but you haven't loved me. I've honored you, but you haven't honored me. I've blessed you, but you haven't blessed me. You've brought in the worst of the worst when it comes to the temple sacrifices. You've dishonored my name. You've dishonored the word of God. You've dishonored the covenant of marriage. You've robbed me, saith the Lord, in tithes and offerings. The Lord is trying his best to get them to realize that they are headed down the wrong path. The Lord will give you signs and clues when you are headed down the wrong path. But you have to be spiritually aware enough to hear from God and to see what God is trying to do in his kingdom through you. Many times people get so far into iniquity that they can't even hear God anymore. They've forgotten what it's like to be in a relationship with God and they continue going down the wrong path because of their own arrogance and because they've made the wrong decision one too many times. The point of decision. This message is for those who are not going to grow weary in well-doing. This message is for people who have made a decision not to lose their passion for God or their faithfulness to God in a culture that has given up on church and the things of God. The people of God were at a place where a decision had to be made. Are we gonna repent 
for our dishonor of the Lord in his house? Are we going to repent for robbing him? Are we going to repent for our dishonor and our disobedience and our lack of morality in the area of marriage and family? Are we going to repent? Are we going to come back to the Lord? He says, if you return to me, I'll return to you. So are we going to respond to God? Are we going to return to him? Or are we going to keep doing things our way because we know better than God? The beginning of Malachi was a spiritual burden God laid on the prophet, a burden. And then he gave a message to a messenger. And we learned that the foundation of spiritual passion is identity, is knowing who we are in Christ. And then it led us to a manifestation of spiritual passion, which is sacrifice. You'll never have anything if you're not willing to sacrifice your flesh and your own ambition. Then we move to the glory of God. And we learned that the identification of spiritual passion is covenant relationships with the people of God, keeping our marriage vows, doing things God's way, not our way. And then the overflow of that is a spiritual passion and a desire for that day when he returns for his people. And then there is a reality of spiritual passion which manifests in today's decision. Everybody say decision. I heard a story of the late president Herbert Hoover and he was joining some friends late in the evening and they were having some refreshments and one of his friends who we'd later find out was the famous botanist which is a horticulturist and a, basically a scientist that studies plants David Fairchild invited President Hoover on a trip uh, to study plants and to study the environment and President Hoover replied to his friend and said, do we have to make any decisions on this trip? And David, somewhat puzzled, said, no, I don't believe you'd have to make any decisions. And President Hoover said, well, if not, I'd like to go along. I'm tired of making decisions, one after another all day long. And President Hoover said something astounding. He said, my view of heaven is a place where no one ever has to make a decision. And the reason President Hoover said this is because whether you're a leader or in transition to being a leader, every decision you make has a consequence. Every decision I make as pastor of this church blesses someone and offends someone else. Every decision that I make affects a minimum of four to eight families. And I have to keep that in mind. But if I overanalyze that, it'll drive me into the mental institution because my job is to please God. My job is to be led by his spirit and my heart is to do right by everyone. But friend, in leadership, you can't please everybody. And if you start trying to please everybody and to even satisfy your own flesh and your own insecurities, then you're gonna fall short of God's best for your life. Decisions are a part of our everyday life. Big ones, little ones, and in-between ones. We face decisions every single day. The Bible tells us that the ability to make a decision is what makes us human. Deuteronomy chapter 30, 
Verse 19, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose, everybody say choose, choose life that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, that you may cling to him, for he is your life and the length of your days, and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give them. So I want to talk to you about the point of decision, that moment between when God speaks and you decide. It begins first as a Christian with revelation. Everybody say revelation. Then it transitions into deliberation. You've heard from God. You've felt an impression on your spirit or your conscience, and now you're in deliberation. What do I do? What am I willing to risk? What is the cost of this decision? And then eventually your deliberation will lead to action. But I want to specifically focus on the deliberation part. This is the point of decision where we're going to examine what we're to do. And some theology is in order here. I don't know what you've been taught about God, but you need to understand that God is not in control of this world. And I know that that's gonna trouble some of you, but he is not in control of this world. Let me give you an example. If I own a car, and it is titled in my name. I'm the owner of that car, but if I give the keys to one of you and you get drunk and drive it and wreck it, I am the owner, but I didn't have the accident. I didn't make the decision to get behind the wheel of a car intoxicated. Do you understand where I'm going? Who was in control? the person who made the decision to do wrong. God could have made us robots, but he didn't. He gave us a free will because he needed our praise and he longed for our affection and our covenant with him. He longed for relationships. The only thing he didn't have, that's why we were created, to praise him and to love him. He could have programmed us to do that, but it wouldn't have been the same. I can program my children to love me, but I would rather them just love me because of who I am. And so, yes, God owns it all. He's in authority, but he's not accountable for everything that goes on on this sin-filled, sin-plagued earth. Because why? He's entrusted it to us, and we make poor decisions. The weatherman has foreknowledge of what is coming when he sees the tornado or the hurricane appear on his charts or his graphs, but the weatherman is not responsible for what happens in weather simply because he has foreknowledge. Ezekiel 22, verse 30, so I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. But I found no one. Therefore, it goes on to say that he poured his indignation on them. He consumed them with fire. Why would God look for a man unless it was at the point of decision that faith is exercised and that things could change? God uses you 
to advance and invoke. And that's why it says there in Ezekiel, I looked for a man. I looked for someone who was willing to stay the course, to change the game, to obey me, to bring about a new thing, but I couldn't find anyone. And because no one would be obedient to the call, then I brought the curse on them. I want to give you seven reasons why we stumble at the point of decision. Number one, the number one reason why we make the wrong decisions or we stumble during the deliberation process, the first one is unwise assumptions. Unwise assumptions. God says something and we are operating on our own insecurities and assumptions. And because of our own flesh, our own insecurities, our own assumptions, our own trauma, we judge a situation incorrectly. And we are believing a lie because we have not healed on the inside. Let me say this, childhood trauma leads to adulthood drama. If you are not healed from that what ha that happened to you in your childhood or in your first or second marriage or whatever it was, if you don't get healed, your trauma will make you a person of drama. And you have to decide whether you're going to live your life based on unwise assumptions, based on your flesh or what everybody thinks, or if you're gonna get along with God. And even though it may feel weird or it may even may make you feel weak, you're gonna make a decision to trust God. You remember the story of Naaman the leper in 2 Kings? It's a great story. He is the commander of the army of Aram. And he's leading this army and he gets leprosy. And you know, he is such a valuable part of the army, they don't want to lose him. And so this process takes place where he is given permission to go to the king and ask for healing. And when he goes to the king, the king tears his robe and says, who am I, God? I can't heal you. What are you asking me for? It, it brings despair to the king. Well, the prophet Elisha finds out about it and tells the king, send Naaman to my house. Amen? Amen. And if he comes to my house, I'll give him the recipe for healing. And you may or may not know the story, but Naaman gets to the house and old Elisha says, hey, I need you to go down to the Jordan and I need you to wash seven times. And if you'll do that, you'll be healed of leprosy. Here's the kicker though. We spiritualize everything in church, but that was probably a weird request, amen? Has God ever asked you to do something weird? If he hadn't, you don't know him. And God asks us all the time to make decisions that may make us look weird, that may even put us at odds with people we love, that cause us to risk our finances, our friendships. And he says, listen, if you want to be healed of this leprosy, you go down. Well, Naaman's response was, why didn't he just wave his hand over me and heal me? I mean, here's this man eating up with leprosy and instead of receiving the miracle or having the faith to make the right decision, he's complaining about the manner in which the prophet was trying to heal him. And how many times has God sent us a blessing but we didn't like the package it was in? How many times 
has God instructed us to do things a certain way, but because it makes us look weird, we don't do it. How many times has God challenged us to seek forgiveness for where we've done wrong, but we'd rather not do it that way? Unwise assumptions. He said, listen, the rivers of Damascus are cleaner than the Jordan. Why can't I wash in my own river? Unwise assumptions almost cost him his miracle. But eventually, after the deliberation process, he did what the prophet instructed him to do. There's nothing worse than giving counsel to someone who pretends to want it but really doesn't want it. In my journey and in my daily life as a pastor, I have encountered many people who pretend to want my advice when all they really want is for me to listen. And that's okay. Listening is part of the pastorate. I need to be available to listen to you with a compassionate ear. But don't ask me for advice if you're unwilling to take it. Because if you ask me for my advice, I'm going to tell you what the Bible says and what I believe spiritually you should do and if you're unwilling to make the right decisions and you really just want my pity, tell me that ahead of time. It'll save both of us time if you really just want someone to listen. So I've learned not to offer my advice to everyone. I, I've seen time and time again, I've offered advice based on the current situation at hand and then later people are mad at me because of the advice. Most people don't want your advice, pastor, leader. They want you to listen. And you need to make sure spiritually before you give it that they want it. Unwise assumptions. Number two, another reason we stumble at the point of decision is uncontrolled anger. The people of God in the book of Malachi, they're at the point of decision. God's about to go silent. He's warned them and offered them grace time and time again. He says to them, return to me and I'll return to you. And they have refused. So not only unwise assumptions, but uncontrolled anger. The Bible tells us in Ephesians to be angry, but sin not. And don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Spontaneous anger must be confronted in the life of every relationship. If you're flailing off the rails all the time and you can't control your anger and you blow up, do you understand that's more about you than it is the situation? Something's unhealed in you for you to be angry all the time and short-tempered all the time, for you to blow up and say things you regret? It's not what they did as much as it is what is unhealed in you. Spontaneous anger must be confronted. Stagnant anger must be conquered. There's spontaneous anger where you just fly off the handle. And then there's this stagnant anger, the Bible calls it bitterness, where over a long period of time, you've just like, like a soup that's brewing or something in a crock pot over time, you just brew. And you get more bitter and bitter and bitter and angry and you say things, you cause division because you've never healed on the inside. 
Sinful anger must be confessed. If you've lost it, the Bible says be angry and sin not. You can be angry, especially about matters of righteousness. But if your anger causes you to sin, then you have to confess that to the Lord. And if you choose not to confess those things, they will finish you in the kingdom of God. Anger is a morbid way of maintaining a shred of respect and control of a situation. We get anger. We get angry because we want to maintain our control. We want to have control over our pain. We want to have control over what they did to us. So we stay angry. Can I get an amen? We need to let that go in this season and move on. We stay angry finally because we do not trust God's process and we don't believe in God's forgiveness. Listen, the Bible says if you're holding a grudge and you've been unwilling to forgive the person that hurt you, you can't be forgiven. But yet, even though God is challenging us, just as he was the people of Israel, we want to maintain our control. Uncontrolled anger. Number three, third reason we stumble at the point of decision is untamed affections. The wrong kinds of relationships, listening to the wrong people, being in covenant either sexually or spiritually with the wrong kinds of people. Listen, I believe you should love everybody. I believe you should have a compassion for everybody. But some of you are like me, and if you don't get this in check, you're going to learn the hard way that you can't expect everybody to love you. And if you keep chasing the wrong kinds of people, they are going to hinder your walk with Christ. They're going to keep you from your destiny. They're going to give you bad advice. You're going to listen to them because you are a product of who you were surrounded by. You are a product of who you've chosen to do life with. And if you've chosen to do life with people that have no faith, that have no walk, that have no theology, that have no character, that are wounded themselves, then you are a product, a byproduct of them. Untamed affections. The Bible says we're to set our affections on the things above, not on earthly things. And that we're to control our bodies, our vessels, and to walk with honor. That we are to make the right decisions. When we fail at this point, we are not trusting God to keep his word. When we roar in and have to make a quick decision when we're weak, when we've heard the wrong advice, when we're listening to the voice of the enemy, we bring a curse because we are showing a lack of trust for God. Is anybody with me this morning? I believe some of you are facing decisions in this season. This applies to every decision you will face in life, from marriage, from how to parent, from business, everything you'll face in life, this applies. Untamed affections. Number four, oh, and I really wanna to try to focus on this for just a minute, unbridled ambitions. Absalom, the son of David, got into trouble over this. He started trying to take his father's kingdom before it was his time. The prodigal son in the parable that Jesus told had a problem with this. He 
wanted what was his before he'd earned it. And he chose the riches of his father's kingdom over the relationship with the father. And what I see happening all over the world in business and in ministry is people not only make unwise assumptions, they're not only governed by anger, they're not only in the wrong kinds of relationships, but their fleshly ambition gets the best of them. You've worked somewhere six months and you want to make what the leader makes. You ain't fought no battles, but you want the blessing that people have fought battles for 20 years have earned the right to have. And let me talk to you millennials. I love you. You're the, one of the most gifted generations we've ever seen. But if you don't learn how to suck it up and grit your teeth and do things the right way, you're going to miss God's best if you keep jumping from job to job. Can't nobody please you. You have no stick it out. You have no tenacity because of the sissy way in which you were raised. And I'm telling you this morning, you better learn to stick it out. You better learn to trust God. And you better stop being governed by your own ambitions. If you're a Christian and trust God with your future and work hard till the blessing comes. Untamed affections and unbridled ambitions. The Bible says that promotion comes when what? We seek first his kingdom. Not our own raise, not our own benefit. When you try to manipulate and jockey for position or prosperity, you're robbing God because you're not trusting him to promote you and bless you. If you are seeking the affirmation, oh, am I preaching this morning? Is, this isn't a good turkey and dressing message, is it? I'm sorry. But if you are trying to seek the approval from men and not of God, you're heading down a dark road. You need to put your eyes on Jesus. You need to seek first his kingdom and you have to have enough faith, even if it's that of a mustard seed, to believe that God's going to keep his word, that he created you in your mother's womb, that he formed you for a purpose, that his spirit will lead and guide you to the finish line. You have to give up the control. As long as you try to control it, you hinder God from intervening on your behalf. Number five, unnerving anxiety unnerving anxiety. As I said, oftentimes, this is a season of depression for many people. The first time I realized seasonal depression and holiday depression was really with my own father who's here today. I didn't realize as a young person what he dealt with as a young person and he would get depressed many years on Christmas Eve because it was a happy time for us, but it was a painful time for him because of his childhood. And oftentimes we allow our mental health to get the best of us before making a decision. And we miss God's joy and his peace and his blessing and his favor sometimes when we don't put those feelings under the blood and we refuse to get the help that we need. Listen, I understand that we all have fears. We all have trauma but Jesus came to pay for that trauma. And I saw a shift in my dad when he was filled with the Holy Ghost because he went from allowing that past to bring pain to him to using it as a weapon to set 
at liberty the captives in the area of warfare. And I'm telling you, your pain can become your purpose. Your anxiety shouldn't be something that is in control of you. You need to take control of it through whatever means you need to take control of it. And you need to get your life back. Bible says we have not been given a spirit of fear, but of power of love and of a sound mind. The reason why many people stumble at the point of decision is because they're simply scared. They don't want to lose what they got. They don't want to lose, oh, I got to cash out what to start this business? You want me to cash out everything to start a business? How am I going to feed my family? You want me to give 10% of my income to your church, God? I'm broke. You want me to sow a seed into who? That preacher I don't even like? What? He'll do it. He's made me do it. I've given tithes to people I don't even like. I mean it. God's made me. I made fun of a preacher one time, and the Lord made me send him a donation at 2 o'clock in the morning. I, I promise. I'm telling you, God's ways are not our ways. And whatever God has promised you in the kingdom, you're going to have to sacrifice for it. It's not going to drop out of the sky and hit you in the head. You're going to have to invest, sow, sacrifice through hard work, and you're going to have to take a faith chance on God. You can't even be saved without taking a faith chance. Marriage is a faith chance. Christianity is a faith chance. The kingdom is a faith chance. Leadership is a faith chance. Business is a faith chance. Don't allow your own anxiety to keep you from the blessing of God. Make a faith decision, not a fear decision. And if you make a faith decision, it will move God's hand in his heart. That's what moves God. That's what moves him. When we operate in faith and we believe his word and we believe him. Number six, unrighteous alliances. Untamed affection has to do with the lust of the flesh that leads to wrong relationships, but unrighteous alliances mean we're unequally yoked. Yes, that has to do with marrying someone that's an unbeliever, but it also has to do with the kind of people you choose to do life with. Some of you choose to do life with very negative and critical people. And it has affected your own spirit and perspective. And if you're not spiritually strong enough to have your own opinions about things that come from God, be careful who you're hanging around. Unrighteous alliances. I pay attention to who people are aligned with. And if you're in leadership, you should too. You say, Pastor Ronnie, why don't you want to use that person because of who they're in alignment with? Why haven't you ever put this person on the council? Because I know they hang out with mouth runners and drama starters. And I don't want to be in cut. I, I can love you as a pastor, but I can't be close with you if you hang out with fools that are trying to hurt this place. I'll take you tithe and I'll love you from afar. But I can't be close with you if you're aligned with unrighteous and ungodly people. And don't think just because they're sitting in this church they're righteous or with me or God. Don't be a fool. 
Some people are controlled by the enemy because at the point of decision, they've allowed all these things I've given to you today to hinder their walk. And this has been going on for a decade with them, maybe even more. And they haven't changed. They haven't forgiven. And they've become a person of bitterness and malice. And you're in an alliance with them. Either God's going to use you to fix them or they're going to pull you down. Don't shout me down while I'm preaching good. Let me land this plane on Thanksgiving. The final reason we stumble at the point of decision is unsurrendered assets. We finished strong last week with this, but this was the turning point in Malachi. This was where God finally issued the guilty verdict to his people. They were robbing God. They were stewards, not owners. And God wanted them to be people of dominion. And all they had to do was sow, tithe, operate under authority, but they chose not to do it. And as I taught you last week, the tithe was practiced before the law. Jesus affirmed it. And this is not a series on tithing, but it is one of many things that can keep you from God's best in your life. It was incorporated into the law and it was affirmed by Jesus, but it has always been there. And I believe quite simply, it's just God's way of saying, do you trust me? It, do you trust me? This is a principle that proves your devotion to God. I don't care, as I said last week, I don't care whether you do it or not, but God does. I'm accountable for what I do. You're accountable for what you do. But I'm telling you, blessed people are generous people. And generosity is obedience. It, it obeys the call from heaven. And generosity obligates the kingdom of heaven to move in on your behalf. And generosity opens the windows of heaven. And at the point of decision, the people of Malachi's day, people of God, chose instead of returning to God, from, to running from God. Instead of returning, we're gonna run. Instead of repenting and sowing our best, we're gonna continue to do things our way and God went silent. I don't know about you, but I don't want him to go silent in my life. I don't want him to go silent in your life. I don't want this church to become a civic center in 100 years. I don't want it to become a mosque like so many other great leaders in the kingdom in the past, Shambach and others whose churches are gone now, their mosque, because the people decided they knew better than God. And furthermore, I don't want you to miss your destiny because you're making decisions that are of the flesh, not of the spirit. I want you to make the right decisions for the kingdom. I want to give you an opportunity to do that today. Would you bow your head? I don't know what you need to do today. Maybe it's that you need to return to God. Maybe it's that you need to be saved. Maybe it's that you need to come in covenant with this church. 
and say, look, I've been wondering, I've been attending, but I want to become a member. I want to put my family under the house of God. I want to begin to tithe and do things God's way. I'm not there yet, but today I want to repent. I want to come under the house of God. Or maybe you've got a decision to make and you just need some people to agree with you in prayer for you to be able to have the boldness to make the right decision. I don't know where you are in your walk with the Lord, but he does. And I just wanna pray for you today. I'm gonna ask our pastors to come make their way to my right and to my left. If you would go ahead and make your way. We're gonna make ourselves available. It's just 11.45. First, if you need to be saved, with every head bowed and every eye closed, you need to make a decision. You're at the point of decision. The Bible says you repent of your sins, change your mind about them, confess your sins, seek forgiveness, and then confess in your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord. So if you need Jesus, just pray this prayer with me. Say, Lord Jesus, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Please come into my heart and save me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and use me for your glory. If you prayed that prayer, the Bible says you have to confess him in front of men. You have to make another decision. You can't let anxiety win. The Bible says you need to make a public commitment. So that's why we have altar calls. So you can come and say, I prayed that prayer. I want to be saved. I want to be baptized.